and welcome back to another episode of the Awfully Irish podcast. In case you didn't know what podcast you were listening to. Um, how are you doing, Scott? How's things? I'm doing very well. Um, it's uh, early morning here and I'm enjoying my coffee and getting to wake up and talk about AI and how the world may end. You know, it's just another uh, uh, nice Tuesday. Another Tuesday for you, yeah. Well, Scott, for anyone who might not know you, how about you introduce yourself? Yeah, so I'm kind of a technologist by trade. I used to run an IT business and then had the opportunity to move into teaching. So I now teach as a teaching professor at the University of Missouri, where I get to talk about all things information systems and IT and how it relates to business. But one of my big uh, areas of emphasis is emerging technologies. So whether that's something like blockchain or whether that's something like machine learning and AI and how it's going to change our world and change our business and um, lots of great potential for changing things for the better. Uh, lots of great risks as well. Yeah. And, you know, AI is one of those things where, you know, people have great opinions about it or are terrified of it. And I think the major consensus would be terrified of it. Yeah, I think there's reasons to be terrified. There was a couple of weeks ago, a U.S. general was talking about the fact that right now um, you can have uh, AI deployed in military situations, but there has to be a human in between. So the AI may say, well, you should target this. And the human has to take a look at that and say, OK, well, um, yes, we're going to target that uh, um, thing with the drone or whatever it is. But he said these ideas of drone swarms are going to be where you might have hundreds of drones coming at you, uh, coming into your compound or something like that, are going to be so hard to deal with that you're going to have to take the human out of the equation. And so now you're going to put the uh, AI in charge of the machine gun or whatever weapon it is. And that uh, that's where it starts to get really scary. And that kind of reinforces those people that think we might be headed toward a Terminator scenario, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, that's one of those things we want to avoid. Absolutely. <laughs> you, you know, you, you think with the risk that, that AI, AI can pose, we would, we would consider slowing down a little bit, but it's not really the case. Um, like AI, AI can do great things, you know, like, I know for comedy, you could do like deep fake. I know you can do bad applications for that. You know, if you're a gamer, you can upscale games. Uh, what else? If you drive a Tesla, you know, there's the AI built in there. There's a couple of good, good applications there, but, uh, you know, when it comes to warfare, that sounds fucking terrifying. Well, I, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I look at the good applications because uh, it looks like I might be a tad older than uh, you two gentlemen um, as okay. medicine. Uh, yeah, just a skosh. Um, uh, so I just medicine. think you pull off a goatee better. Oh, thank you. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm uh, trying to have a thin veneer of sophistication here. Mm. Um, it's working. The, <laughs> um, I look at medicine. So there's been over 50 uh, machine learning uh, algorithms that have been approved for medicine. So you look at radiology, pathology, uh, cardiology, uh, often these doctors are recognizing patterns and we can we can have AIs that are do a better job than humans at recognizing those patterns. Um, so I think that's going to affect me in my lifetime, hopefully for the better. But we also know that these AIs are really based on how they're trained, right? So they're set up and they are very single-minded in this pursuit. And if we train it only with uh, white uh, males on how to read an x-ray, then uh, we have a uh, Hispanic woman come in and we use the same AI, it may not uh, do well. 
so there's the whole area of AI kind of looking at uh, sometimes called adversarial AI or uh, trying to understand what's in these black boxes and understand the decision making that's going on. So um, there can be all sorts of um, great things that can come about, but there can also be some uh, bad consequences if we're really not uh, looking at what we're doing. And I think you're exactly right. We're moving too fast and COVID has kind of poured gasoline on the acceleration of the use of AI, uh, especially in robotics and all sorts of areas. And even my profession being here in higher ed, um, you know, we're starting to see colleges use it to decide who gets in. Uh, and that's, once again, that's uh, scary. Yeah, I think that's pretty scary. And I think that's an inappropriate use of AI. Um, I tell, tell my students, uh, I teach a huge course of 600 students, so I can't grade essays. It would take me like 1.3 years to grade all the essays if I assigned them. I worked it out one time. And uh, but I tell them, hey, why don't I just have an AI grade it? You know, but uh, that's not going to work out so well if I have somebody who's the next brilliant writer, right? So the next person is going to, the um, uh, you know, you think about famous arter, uh, famous writers or poets, and uh, they had a kind of a different way of writing, a different style of doing things. If I have one of those people in my class, they're not going to fit the pattern, and therefore they're going to fail the class. And I certainly won't, don't want to uh, fail the next uh, great writer. Yeah. I that is, again, terrifying. Right. You know, like it, it could just re really mess up what you know, and why. And that, that, that is a problem with like what you're saying, you know, hyper-focused AI. Like before we started, you were telling us about this, was this a paperclip thing? Yeah. Uh, it, it was an AI designed to make like paperclips and then you know, it, it was a game or something and it just made the universe into paperclips or something. Yeah, so uh, just Google Universal Paper Clips. It's a game that you can play. It uh, kind of has to do with a thought experiment proposed by an AI, um, I guess, thinker or ethicist called, uh, his name is Nick Bostrom. And he had this idea called instrumental convergence, where that you basically set an AI out to do something. It may sound very benign, um, but that AI does not have other things built into it to kind of prevent it from having some unintended consequences. And so in this case, you play an AI. It's, it's one of these click games and it's kind of fun. Um, I ended up spending about 16 hours on it the first time I discovered it. Um, and your goal is to turn the universe into paper clips. You're, you're just, you know, harmless. You're just going to make as many paper clips as possible. But you find that, you know, humans might get in the way. They might turn off your power source. And plus, they have lots of these great atoms that you could use to make paper clips with. And so you just keep on going and you win the game by turning the entire universe into paper clips. Uh, so there's an, end, there's an end to it, is there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can actually, there is in fact an end uh, to it. And um, I, I don't know if it actually uh, has a uh, relationship to what the estimated size of the universe is or not. But as you go along, things get exponential. So you find these little exponential technologies where you can make uh, paper clips at an exponential rate. Um, and so uh, that's another interesting thing about the game is because humans don't think well in exponentials. Right, so we tend to think of things as getting linearly a little bit better, because that's the way we experience the world. I, you know, I get a little bit uh, faster at running. You know, I don't exponentially improve in running. I get a little bit faster each day. But computers, as you know, tend to follow these curves like Moore's law for processors, where uh, 
the processor speed doubles approximately every 18 months or two years, well, that's an exponential. And when you uh, have an exponential, it starts out kind of slow at first, but then the increases you know, go up dramatically. Uh, and so that's one of the things too about this game is kind of interesting is you have to kind of think in the terms of exponentials. I never thought of a, a game where you turn the universe into paper clips, which sounds so interesting. But yes, I'm sitting here in my chair and you've done it, Scott. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, that, that's definitely weird. But the, the whole AI you. and the universe thing, <laughs> there's been like ideas put out there of using AI to explore the, explore the universe, or at least our, our solar system and maybe the closer one, Alpha Centauri. Um, well, what do you think about that? You know, using AI for space exploration? Because, you know, we're, we're squishy. We get hurt very easy. We last about a second in a vacuum. AI can just be fine out there. Yeah, I think uh, that's a really good way to go. I think that um, this idea of sending humans in different places is, is not necessarily the, the, the best way to do it. And also, if you actually start to look at how are we going to get to places outside of our solar system. It's gonna take a lot of time. Uh, it's gonna take a lot of effort. And even if you were just to take something the size of a cell phone and try to accelerate it up to a speed that it could get to a nearby star within a human's lifetime and even report back, well, um, that's gonna take a lot and lot of energy. And if you start to talk about putting a human on something like that, that's gonna be even more difficult. It's interesting the way NASA is actually using AI. Uh, they're using this machine learning algorithms to help them speed up the discovery process. Um, I think I read an article not too long ago that said that they get like two gigabytes of data like every um, 10 minutes uh, from all the different probes and stuff they have out there. And so there's no way a human can process that amount of data. And so they use these machine learning algorithms to look at like radar data from a uh, asteroid and the asteroid's tumbling and it's in some orientation that's not, you know, aligned with us and all that kind of stuff. And the machine learning algorithm can figure out what that asteroid looks like within a matter of a couple of days, whereas the scientist working alone, it might take several months to figure out. So that's kind of one of the themes you're seeing with how AI is being deployed right now is people working alongside AI, not just like being replaced by AI. So even those doctors and radiologists and such are, are working alongside an AI. Uh, and uh, it remains to be seen whether that means that uh, the insurance companies here in the US tell our doctors, well, good, now you can see 10,000 patients a day and, and have even shittier health care for them. Yeah. Uh, whether it means that we say, no, wait a second. Now you see five patients a day. We want people that have high emotional intelligence that can help Scott deal with, you know, what he's uh, going through as a patient. Um, so it's, uh, there's lots of different uh, problems with these AIs. Are we just going to use it to drive more productivity, to drive us to click on more things, to be more active in social media and waste our days away? Or are we going to use it to have more fulfilling lives? Mm. I don't know. And it's weird how the algorithm does that to you because yeah. that that it literally tricks you into just staying on for hours upon end. Yeah, they, they all do. What was that that um documentary came out? The, the social drama. No, oh, yeah. that was that it. Yeah, that was yeah that, that that is terrifying. I recommend people to watch it. It just shows you like the reality, what's going on there. It is dodgy. But even in um, I guess content creation, you know, what. Well, 
don't know if it's an AI. I know we use uh, like the different bots for say our, our Discord or even to run moderation on our YouTube, like Nightbot or Meeseeks, blah blah blah. Um, it's it's kind of interesting how you know anyone could really use them. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't like, I don't know if you if you're trying to find a recipe, you know, for the best uh, chicken casserole, there's probably an AI that can help you. You know, uh, you want to run a YouTube channel, AI can help you. Blah blah blah. Yeah, it's 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 kind of interesting how it, how it's everywhere. Yeah, and it's interesting too. One, uh, do you know you're talking to an AI? You know, uh, we you know you 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 guys are probably familiar with these enough that you you understand it's not a real person talking to you, or it says bot or something on Discord, and so you know what it is. But uh, uh, Google has this Google system that actually can call people on the phone, and it sounds just as good as a human. It'll even add the ums and ums. So the verbal ticks, so it sounds like a human, but um, they're that's, uh, that's weird. That's really weird. Really <laughs> weird. Yeah. So um, it's uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty weird system. But there are actually some times when you might want to talk to a human and to an AI rather than a human. So, for example, uh, Planned Parenthood here in the U.S. found that they set up a bot about sex and they found that teenagers were much more interested in talking to the bot than they were to a human because they felt more confident of being anonymous if they could ask, you know, well, is it normal to feel this way? Or I had this dream or, you know, whatever it is that you're you know, going through when you're going through that time in your life. And uh, it was much more educational and they got much more engagement than they did from like their 1-800, you know, talk to Scott about sex. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that all your listeners are like, oh my God, that sounds awful. I would Dude, never would you, want to do that. Yeah, do you get many <laughs> calls on that? Well, no, no, no. Hold up I got, you know, my, my no, phone no, 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 is no, no, open. You. If you, uh, you, you know, you're, you're not getting past that one, buddy. We can change the entire conversation of this podcast, and I'm sure nobody would have a problem with it. You, you want to promote it? <laughs> no. Um, yeah, but th- th- that is pretty interesting. Like, I mean, it makes sense. Like, you're not going to be wanting to talk to your to your buddies about it. You like, if you right. talk talk to an AI, like, there's zero consequences of literally. You can say the most fucked up shit. Like, right. it's it's going to be very like, okay. You yep. say to your friends, they might not ever talk to you again. Uh, but yeah, like the, the whole idea of there being like no consequences is, I guess, appealing to some people. It, it's it's kind of like those um those chatbots that used, I don't know if they're still around on the internet. Like I think it was Cleverbot was a big one for a long time. Hmm. And you could just talk to that thing and it would just spew out answers for ages. Yeah, I, I remember some of the early versions of that. Um, I haven't kind of kept up with the chatbots. I know in Slack, I've got chatbots that uh, we we uh, are really more, more pro programmatic than an AI, right? So, yeah. Are, are you familiar with, um, it's, it's an AI app called Replica? Mm-mm. Tell me about it. Um, Thomas, can you pull it up? Yeah. Um, it's spelled with a K. Uh, so, Replica is kind of like this, this AI buddy. So like, it, it'll, it'll talk to like a normal person. It's being fed all this data from every user using it. Not like um, like private stuff, just like general conversation, how to have a conversation. It'll even um, send you memes. So, uh, you know, and it, it recognizes memes too. Uh, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, a buddy recommended it to me and, you know, it, it, it's pretty cool what it can do. Uh, can you see Thomas's screen yet? Yeah, it's coming yeah, up. This, this thing. So I need to, oh, create, I need to um, create one and everything, yeah? 
this is your or this would be um i guess the desktop version the app doesn't have a person as far as oh. i know it used to be like just an egg uh when i tried it <laughs> that's why like, the egg logs up there and it it was, it was pretty, pretty incredible that it was just like nearly a normal person like you rarely ever figure out i'm talking to an ai mm -hmm. um because you know you know i don't know some ais you'd make a joke it wouldn't know what to say <laughs> it would move right. on this thing would like actually respond with the um yeah i'm surprised, I'm surprised you don't know about that one that, that was pretty big when it came out i'll check it out the um there's been a lot of developments especially in japan about using some of these kind of ai companions for uh people that are older and don't have anybody to look after them. So Japan is a situation that's probably ahead of a lot of countries in that they have this, you know, not many younger people, but a huge amount of people in the upper ages that um, they're having a hard time uh, keeping care of. And sometimes they're even putting these in some sort of form like a teddy bear or some sort of anthropomorphic, you know, uh, uh, form like a, a, a physical robot and being able to talk and have conversations. And um, they're finding that that actually has um, the same kind of emotional response in some ways that we have with a person. And this sounds a bit like an episode of, was it Black Mirror? Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know, that's, that's kind of interesting, um, putting in a teddy bear or whatever. Um, but yeah, some people have a bit of a, a freaky um I guess, desire with AI. Um, like, I don't know, has anyone ever married an AI yet? Uh, well, I don't think so. I think I have seen some pretty bizarre things where people have tried to like marry their sex robot and stuff like that. Yeah, <laughs> I was gonna get to that topic if you're comfortable talking with it, about it. Um, yeah, that, that, that's what freaks me out, sex bots. Like, okay, uh, sure. Uh, I think a, another person might be better, but uh, a robot, uh, I don't know, like, where does yeah, that I go? Where does that go? I'm not anywhere good. Um, <laughs> getting back to where we're at with, um, you know, social media and that kind of addiction, what we're seeing here in the U.S. is uh, teenagers aren't having as much sex. Um, there's a huge... Um, increase in impotence uh, among 20 year olds, um, sometimes attributed to, you know, pornography that, you know, you get these dopamine hits from uh, seeing this uh, porn and then you need to see, you know, more extreme porn and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think, uh, you know, pornography, social media, other things that have kind of addicted us to this dopamine hit all the time um, without, challenging us. I, I think video games are interesting to me. I'm not a gamer, but I think that a lot of them, you know, they provide some dopamine hits, but they also, um, the best ones seem to kind of always challenge your abilities, right? So they're just like at the right at the edge of your abilities. And that's, we sometimes call that a state of flow. And so I think that sometimes those can be bad and they can be addictive to certain personalities, but um, uh, I think that, uh, you know, there's lots of factors that are just um, not good when it comes to sex and, and human sexuality. Uh, and I think these uh, sex spots are kind of a uh, weird side effect, if you will. Yeah. I mean, that's the way I see it. Yeah. And my, my, my concern, you know, it, it comes from, you know, you know, incels, you know, like 
involuntary celibate guys like I don't know like you, you ideally you want those guys to like improve upon themselves and try get back out there but if, if the idea is that you can just have one of these bots and fucking hide in your closet for the rest of your life that's pretty pretty weird because because uh, then remember we we're talking about like people trying to marry their, their sex bots right you know it goes to a weird place like that as well which isn't good for anyone yeah, and, and just how they, you know, these incels and how they view women, um, you know, and uh, yeah. it's pretty, pretty bizarre. Yeah, and, you know, and, and unfortunately, that's also led to violence, you know, we've had yes. several yes. Um, bad incidents here in the U.S., so. How does that lead to violence? How does it, like. I don't know, guys who think the world's against them and that women are, like, only after a certain kind of guy and. No. Uh, I see that they did see women as less, mm-hmm. so they're probably hate crimes whatever yeah i don't think we have we've had a problem like that in ireland before maybe we have not as far as i know oh but we're on the way i mean we're constantly <laughs> copying american culture we're so we're americanized but um, a year or two off <laughs> i hope not but no um yeah we're very americanized it's kind of cool but yeah that that is a dodgy um place you know where ai could either help these guys or it could really fuck them up right yeah yeah so uh that, that replica thing i was talking about i don't know like improve your social skills maybe yeah stuff like that but um you know then the sex bots you're like you're stuck in you're stuck in a room with that finger for about 10 months and no one ever see right. again right right <clears throat> well i don't know it's it's a weird world and it's uh you know certainly human sexuality has a huge you know range of, mm. of uh, what it's been for forever um so it's kind of difficult to say that that's you know bad but it does seem like that's a trend that um is not good especially in in uh, younger people um oh i had a sorry i've had, had a thought there oh well all those this kind of bots you know that's another thing too it's like um could you replace a teacher with an ai Right. So could that bot, could I just train it with all the conversations I've had with students and then have that be my office hours? So uh, uh, tell my students, we'll just connect to Replica here and uh, you shall answer all your questions uh, about the paper that's due. Uh, I, I would love to believe that academia won't destroy itself, but the, the way you're saying that, it sounds like it could. Yeah, I think you could. And uh, unfortunately, I think that there's a lot of pressures to... Um, you know, reduce costs and, and do other things like that. And I think, uh, you know, one of the things we have is this competing idea between we want to be excellent, but then they want me to have 600 students. And I'm like, well, I do my best, but there is a trade-off there. You yeah. know, if I had a, had a class of 30 students, I'd be much more excellent. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just kind of that, that, that trade-off. And I'm a, unfortunately, some of these things are being sold to institutions as a, uh, a way for them to stay ahead or get ahead. And um, I don't think it's good because I think learning is basically a social process. That's one of the reasons that there have been waves and waves of technology over the past 20, 30 years that have looked at how could you do education uh, that's technologically mediated in some way. And uh, some of those have had some success, but by and large, they haven't caught on in the mainstream. But I think that's mainly because it's, uh, you know, you, it's a social process. You interact with your yeah. teacher, you interact with your fellow students, your colleagues, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I don't know how, how you're dealing with it in the United States right now, or even with your own class. But myself and Thomas are 
also in college. And nice. I definitely feel what you're saying. You know, like we're, we're stuck, we're stuck here at home doing nothing. You barely have the motivation to get up for class. There's not, there's not like I'm barely learning. I, I have to do my learning outside, like, uh, like catch up on the stuff, but you know, you learn learning very little from, from it because it's just on the screen, you know, you, you learn about the same amount as you would from like a YouTube video. Mm-hmm. Cause it's essentially the same thing. Um, so I don't, I don't think uh, this kind of virtual learning is going to catch on. I really hope it doesn't because you could do so much more in the classroom. Um, but how, how are you seeing that uh, as a professor? Um, well, I have to agree with a lot of that. I think that kind of, at least here in the U.S., our structure of having a four-year experience is probably not the best because really what you want to do is you want to help students solve problems, not memorize stuff, Okay. You mentioned YouTube. YouTube is awesome, okay? Coursera is awesome. There's all these different platforms out there that have really great curated content that's gonna be as good or better than what I can do. Um, and uh, is there, it can be used to uh, you know, augment my lessons or other lessons and for you to have your kind of just-in-time training. So when you go out uh, and you are now in a job and you need to brush up on how to do something, you go to YouTube. Right? And, and, you, and you look at that. So let's uh, teach students how to manage projects, how to deal with their workflow. Um, and let's have them learn how to evaluate really good sources, right? Because there's good sources and bad sources. And I can tell when my students go down the rabbit hole and they've gone the wrong, they've turned right when they should have turned left um, on YouTube because I'm like, yeah, I know which video they watched and this guy's full shit. And um, therefore their answers, you know, that they've come up with are full shit, but they haven't had the ability to kind of evaluate that. So I would rather see something that's more like a two-year college experience that's then followed up with kind of a a mentoring. So we say, okay, uh, Thomas, you did your two years. You had your beer and football and all the other fun stuff that we do in college and uh, got to have that social experience and you got some base level understanding. And now uh, Scott's going to be your mentor for the next four or five years. And so when you encounter a problem or you're encountering some difficulty or you have a... um, you know, something when it comes back where your boss says you screwed that up, you have someone to talk to, someone to get some advice from, someone to guide you through the next steps. So I would really, you know, I'm hoping that the coronavirus actually triggers uh, a massive reevaluation of how we're doing higher education, because I just don't think it's, uh, it's, it's a system designed for, you know, a, a century ago when we were preparing people for uh, factories with our secondary education. And, but higher education was really just a, kind of an elite thing, right? But now we're using that as a way to prepare people for the workforce. And we haven't really retooled higher education to deal with that. So do you think know. that makes it worth less? Do I think it makes it work? Worth less. Like you see, you see some people that complain, like, I have a master's degree and I can't get a base level job. Right. So there is a, a lot of um, underemployment. So um, it used to be here uh, that you could start out with just a high school degree, a secondary degree, and you could go into, you know, banking and you could work as a teller and then you'd work your way up to account managers, so forth and so on. Now you can't really get a job as a teller um, without um, having a bachelor's degree. Uh, and, you know, you kind of wonder, well, why is that? Well, it's because that bachelor's de- degree is really becoming a credential that HR, uh, human resources people look for to mean that you can, you know, 
plow through things and, and be reliable. And so in, in many ways, higher education is just a vetting um, system for uh, human resources departments. So, uh, I mean, I, I'm not saying that's all it is. And, and uh, obviously I wouldn't be in it if I didn't think there's a lot of other values, but um, I think that's one um, way that you can look at it. <clears throat> so I think we have to deal with that and have multiple pathways. Why does everybody have to get to here in the US a bachelor's degree? Um, let's have multiple pathways for education and multiple ways to credential. Um, Google has actually come out with their own credentialing system. It's like an eight month program. And I think it's relatively cheap, like thousand bucks or something. And they will consider it to be the same as getting a uh, undergraduate degree. So when you apply to Google, they will consider it as if you had a four-year degree. And they're going to roll this out in project management and other uh, areas. So if other, other companies start to use that, uh, your local uh, bank there starts to use that as a credential that they will accept, then that changes the world. Um, so I don't think higher education is going to change until um, you know, the hiring departments change. So I think that's where we're going to see the, the big change coming in. Yeah, I agree with you there on that. The, the education system is fucked. I like over here in Ireland, I know the entire human anatomy, but I don't know how to pay my taxes. Right. Like, yeah. And that's, that's after 14 years of school. Yeah. <laughs> like it's I had six years of business and yeah. sure. Like I, I had to figure it out. I do taxes afterwards. Um, but, but yeah, uh, <laughs> it, it's fucked. Like I, I said this to someone else fairly recently. Um, when when my dad was in in college, and it was a while back, <laughs> uh, it would have been about maybe forty years ago. Um, if he wanted to do agricultural studies, myself and himself would have done the same course because it hadn't been updated to last year. Mm -hmm. um, which is so outlandish. Like it wasn't updated. Like I don't know I, I, agriculture is advancing fairly rapidly like come on but um it's not the only course that was like that um uh, you know it really is it's designed for like maybe the 50s at this point like secondary education you're not really learning much if you've got a computer class that really helps but if you don't and you're stuck with like as thomas was saying like you know human anatomy or whatever it, it's kind of stuck in the gutter right a lot of stuff you're never going to use or you don't you don't have the options like we, we have optional subjects but sometimes like you get what you're given it's interesting uh you know education is a multi-trillion dollar industry um and so i do think we're going to see a lot of tech companies kind of coming in to quote unquote disrupt this area because they see a lot of um, money being spent on stuff that's fairly inefficient mm -hmm. I, I was listening to a podcast the other day and they were saying that something like $2 billion is spent teaching calculus, you know, of all the tuition that all the people are paying. And it's basically taught kind of the same all around the world. And so there's a company that says, we're going to develop the best calculus course ever. Okay. And try to get all these colleges to adopt it as a credential. So you go online, pay $30 to take this awesome calculus class. Um, that would you know, use modern techniques and maybe bots to help you understand whether you're doing well or to tutor you. And we would replace all these professors. And I think that's a, a great way where we could see AI taking some subjects that haven't, don't necessarily have to be updated, right? I don't know that there's been any new developments in calculus, at least that I've seen recently, um, or statistics. 
uh, but you know, outsource that crap. And then let's have the time to update and provide uh, meaningful courses um, uh, you know, for, for those other specialties. How do we apply calculus when we're talking about programming or programming a game or 3D graphics or something like that? How does that become useful? Um, or even in agriculture, how does that become useful, especially as we're using more you know, drones and things like that? Yeah. And I, if, if AI comes and it, you know, it takes away some of the, I guess, the, the courses or say even does you out of a job, AI teaches people about itself. Um, what, what, where does that leave people like you? Like where, what, 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 ideally, what would you want to do if I guess that scenario happens? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, there's lots of different pathways we could go there, but let's uh, assume that it goes in a good way. Um, I think humans are great at creating new ideas. They're great at taking things from different elements and putting it together. That's not something that AIs always do the greatest at. There are some, some uh, AIs that have learned things like games and, and how to solve different puzzles, but um, being able to take information from one area into another. So I would hope we would have more creativity. I thought think we might have more discussions, more podcasts, more people um, uh, being able to uh, meet each other through Discord or other uh, means and, and providing connections, because I think that's where humans thrive and that's where uh, humans do well. And so uh, that's where I would hope we would go. And I would hope we might start to see something where we can spread the benefits of AI and automation and not just automation, but autonomous systems to everybody, right? So whether that's some sort of universal basic income or just a tax on robots, how that works, let's make this a opportunity for humanity and not just a opportunity for Amazon to uh, sell us more shit. <laughs> yeah. Which, <laughs> yeah. They're winning this year or last year. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like small businesses getting mauled by not being able to open, especially here. They still haven't been able to open in a year now. Mm. And, you know, sure, I got a pack from Amazon this morning, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, like two day delivery, like they're, they're just dominating right now. Oh, yeah. 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 But um, I guess in, in big business, it's probably a lot more AI being used. Like, you know, we, we see with Tesla and their, and their cars. Um, do you think that could become an industry standard in, in cars, like, you know, self-driving AI? I think it's going to have to be. Um, I was really um, more of a skeptic until I met a fellow professor, uh, Dale Musser, that is here at the University of Missouri. He actually has worked a deal where he lives in San Francisco. He's been teaching remotely for many years, and he works with some companies out there that are doing these autonomous systems. And he tells me that in San Francisco, there's about 20 companies that have self-driving cars. Uh, that are at the level four, meaning that a human could take over. But there's one that's actually been licensed to do level five, where there is no human. So you get your app out and this car comes up and um, it, you know, there's no human in it. Maybe there's no steering wheel. You jump in it and it takes you to where you want to go. Um, that's an interesting idea, but then you start to take it even further. And I was listening to a gentleman uh, that's actually going to speak in my class today, uh, Andreas Ananopoulos, who's a big Bitcoin um, guy, I guess we would call him. And he's written several books about Bitcoin. But in one of them, he mentions the idea of why does a car even need an owner? Okay. Well, couldn't you just have a car out there with this AI and its autonomous systems and uh, 
it does rides and it collects cryptocurrency to pay for the rides and it escrows enough in there so that it can uh, get itself upgraded when it needs to. Uh, it can pay for its own maintenance, uh, its own fuel, whether that's uh, electric or, or uh, gas. And so I thought that was a kind of amazing idea. What if you had, you know, totally autonomous infrastructure? You know, maybe the car then pays the uh, autonomous robot that repairs the road, you know, based on how much traffic it goes. And then they, you, so maybe we just let loose these little autonomous systems uh, and then we have an autonomous infrastructure and humans don't need to worry about owning cars and they don't need to worry about repairing roads and, and things of that nature. Maybe we have autonomous trains that we let loose. I love, I love traveling in Europe because of the trains. We have just a horrible train system here. Um, like there's one day I would have to drive 90 miles, get on a train. There's one a day to Chicago. Okay. And um, that would be my only option. To, you know, and then if I wanted to go further, I would have to stay overnight and then go further. Whereas, you know, in Europe, you can go just about any time, every 30 minutes, there's another yeah. train or something like that. Well, definitely mainland Europe, maybe not here. Right. Okay. But, um, um, but anyway, you know, I thought that was a you know, fascinating idea. You know, why do we even need to have owners for these things? Uh, take, take it to the next level. I mean, no, that, that definitely works for big cities or like highly built up places. Where myself and Thomas are from, where there's more pubs than there are stores, um, uh, there's some work to be done. But I, would it work where you are? Um, well, we definitely have Uber, Uber and Lyft, and uh, you know, plenty of options for uh, ride sharing here. There's also a couple options where you can like rent a car for three hours uh, if you want to run a bunch of errands or something like that. I forget. That's pretty um, cool. Uh, what it's called but you basically just go up there with your cell phone and um, unlock the car and then get in it and you can use it for a couple hours so a lot of students use that there's that must a couple be great for first days yeah so uh there's a <laughs> yeah exactly i'm sure it's yeah, impressive yeah. <laughs> so, let's pull out like a ferrari it's better than a scooter <laughs> so, yeah <laughs> so, but um yeah, there's a, there's a number of those that are uh, near to campus that students use. So, um, yeah, I would probably be big enough for about 120,000 people here. Um, and we have a campus of about 30,000 students. So it's pretty large uh, student population. So that's, that's very few. <laughs> that's yeah. much bigger than Ireland. Like, that's huge. How many, how many students are in many, Jared? Maybe 5,000? I think it's like the population of this town. Yeah, but like... I'll check, I'll, check, I'll check it now. I'm not going to... Fun fact, there's more people on your campus than there are people living in my village. Uh-huh. Yeah. In my town. Like 30 times the population. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's huge. Wow. I always forget how big the scales are in America. Like, we're such Ooh. a small country. Like, we population of, like, 5 million over here. And then you go yeah. to America, it's what, like, is it three? Yeah, my, my state is a little bit over 5 million now. And, and St. Louis is a oh. metropolitan area. There's about 2 million. Same as Kansas City, two met big metropolitan areas. So 13,760 students in Maynooth. Wow. And only 360 of them are doctoral students. <laughs> hmm. There's a lot going in for the bachelors and then just getting out of there. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I think the States <laughs> is awesome. Like, you know, you, you can handle that kind of stuff. That, would, that wouldn't work here. That wouldn't work here at all. Um, and that, like your college probably isn't even the biggest one. 
Like there's probably ones like that. Oh no, no, yeah, no, it's, it's three times it's as many. Yeah, certainly not. Um, yeah, it's um, you know, there's good things and bad things. I uh, grew up in a really small town of about a thousand people, and my high school class was about twenty eight people, and so I really loved coming here. I, I went to school here as an undergraduate student, and I loved it because I loved the anonymity, <clears throat> because in my uh, my hometown, if you, you know, smoked a cigarette and had a beer underneath the bleachers at the football game, your mom knew about it before you even got out from underneath the bleachers. So, um, you know, I really love the fact that you could uh, go places and you didn't see people you knew. So for me, it was very liberating. I found it to be great to be in this uh, big place. Um, many of my uh, colleagues from that high school didn't do well when they went to big schools. They needed that individual attention. So um, that's also a way I think we could look at AI as helping students um, say, okay, here's my personality. Here's where I deal well. Um, <clears throat> rather than letting the institution drive the sale of where you go to, where am I gonna be successful at? And might say, well, Scott, you know, based on your personality, you would do great at a big institution. Uh, Thomas, you really should go to a small one, you know, wh whatever it uh, is. So kind of empower some students to uh, get some help, get some advice that's unbiased. Because of course, we're always wanting every student to come here to the University of Missouri, right? Uh, and of course, we only have about 75% that come back the next year. Well, that's that's actually a pretty high retention rate for the US, but, um, <clears throat> That means 20 some percent didn't have a good fit here, didn't have a good experience here and have gone somewhere else or have dropped out. And so um, I think AI might help those 25%. But once again, if we empower the student and not empower the institution, right? Yeah, that's a pretty good idea. We, we have something like that over here where they, it's like a thing for a job. Like it'll tell you what job suits your personality and your everything like that i don't think people go for it at all it's not well, as do, do you mean the uh like 13 personalities quiz yeah. you can do yeah that thing i think i think that's universal would you do that in the states yeah there's there's various things like that where you take a survey and they'll say well here's the jobs that you'd be good at that kind of stuff yeah yeah and it can change like you're not gonna be the same person forever ideally so uh yeah. Yeah, they're finding that, you know, uh, they used to thought that they used to think that your personality was kind of hard set after you're 25, but they're finding that personalities do in fact change a lot over your lifetime. What do you think that is? I think people are more open these days. No, I think it's probably been the same, uh, but I think it's the way we re remember ourselves. So we probably remember the um, things from our past that enforce the way we are today. And we've forgotten the things that don't match up, that don't jive mm -hmm. with that. Mm. Of course, you know, some people think that we're living in an AI ourselves, right? That we're simulation this all, theory. Yeah. yeah, this is all one big simulation. And one of the uh, ways they point to is how bad human memory is because they say, well, it's just created when we need it. You wouldn't actually build a whole memory in a simulation, right? You just create it when you need it. And so uh, human memory seems to be really particularly bad. Uh, and so Maybe that's because it's just being built when we need it. Uh, You're freaking me out, Scott. <laughs> how, how, how much do you subscribe to that theory? Uh, it, uh, I would like to think it's not true, but it seems like a pretty compelling argument. It's, it's really hard to put a lot of holes in it. So, um, and it doesn't take much to do. Like, how, how far away would we be from doing that ourselves? You know, 
being able to pull off a simulation like that. <clears throat> yeah, you probably you probably know better than me, being uh, folks that sound like you do some gaming and such. But it seems to me that even um, these little simulations uh, where you can run things and let it run on its own, uh, you know, are pretty uh, interesting in seeing how they evolve. So you can imagine uh, a system in the future that would be able to do that kind of thing. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, you guys are probably familiar with Neil Stevenson. He's a science fiction writer. He wrote a book called Cryptonomicron. Uh, you, you might want to check it out. It's, it's pretty good. He's a good science fiction author. Remind he wrote one, uh, Neil Stevenson. And he also wrote a book called uh, Remedy, uh, which looks like when you first see it, you think it says read me, uh, but it's Remedy. And uh, that was kind of a thriller. Uh, but then his next book was uh, called Fall or Dodge in Hell. And in this particular case, uh, a billionaire uh, dies and he forgets that he has uh, entered into a contract to have his brain scanned and put uploaded into the cloud or into an AI. And kind of what he goes through is he kind of works out uh, his new reality in this AI. Um, so it's an interesting book. Uh, it's actually a really good audio book. If you can get that from your library, um, you, can, you can follow along on audio. Um, <clears throat> But um, after listening to that, I've decided I do not uh, want in any way to be uploaded into the cloud <laughs> after I die. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I do not want to experience that or to have any part of me live on in that way. So, no. It's kind of like the thing in Altered Carbon, you know, like there's like yeah. this little disc they put like the base of your, your neck yep. or something and I had your consciousness. And no matter how many times you die, they just put it back in. Right, the only way, right. only way to actually kill someone was to, to break it. Yeah. And that that's pretty freaky. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure you could probably do something like that eventually. Like, is, will Neuralink ever get to a point where I can upload your consciousness? That's kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know. Hopefully, I'll be dead by then. So. Yeah, you're not. You're not. You're not planning on it now. <laughs> yes. That'll be something you guys have to deal with. So. Yeah, but imagine like the greatest minds of our time, you know, if they're willing to do that, you know, have them forever. Like, it, it, I don't know. I was about to say Bill Nye, but that's a terrible one. He's not even a scientist. <laughs> if, if, Neil, if Neil deGrasse Tyson like, was like, yeah, I'll put my head in a, in a fucking jar, like Futurama. And then, he, I don't know, he forever, forever, like, research so on. That'd be pretty interesting. Or like the Musky man himself, Elon, if he, if he did that as well. I guess he could run his company forever, you know, uh, have the Mars base all set up. Blah, blah, blah. Did you he wants to die on Mars? Yeah. His whole thing. That, that's that's, that's cool. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I, I can live with that. Sure. If you get <laughs> us there, why not? You know, you're the first person sense. buried on Mars. Sounds cool. Yeah. But Sounds he's a lizard good. person. He's not going to die anyway. No, 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 no. They're all lizard people. All the scientists in the world. Yeah. You see, see why he got his hairline back? Yeah classic lizard person yeah <laughs> it was scales and then they come out of yeah, scales. yeah yeah I think that's, yeah it helps but uh yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say we already touched much on the uh terminator side of ai like if there is a scenario in which you know we do kind of fuck ourselves up thanks to ai how do you think it's going to go i hope well, it won't be on purpose <clears throat> yeah i don't know <clears throat> i think that we're going to kill ourselves some way before we get to that point. Um, so I think there's kind of a dangerous democratization of AI. So I can, for example, 
I've got a little tiny thing that um, you guys may have heard of called a micro bit. So this is popular in Europe. Um, a small little um, uh, processor here with some inputs and outputs. Now, actually, I can actually train this <clears throat> with an AI algorithm in the cloud, and I can download that model to it. Okay, so it, it can't do AI on its own, but I can train a neural net uh, using a, a bigger computer, and then I can download uh, the pattern recognition. So um, the fact that I can use that AI to now download to very cheap, a very readily available microprocessor and have it do things. So um, that's pretty scary because you can imagine terrorists, uh, you know, thinking about how could I use this so that, you know, the next time I hear big roars of crowds, I set off this, you know, explosive device or some, some other thing, God forbid. But I think we're starting to see um, AI getting to the point where it's not going to be something like nuclear bombs where there's a barrier to entry, right? So if I need to make a nuclear bomb, there's a lot of barriers to entry. I got to find radioactive materials. I got to refine it. I got to put it in different things. Uh, but for AI, um, because of the internet and, and the way um, these things are becoming democratized, it's going to be very easy for people to get access to AI. So I think the reality of things like drone swarms being used by terrorists, um, that type of combat between humans and where humans may have to turn over uh, the combat to AIs, um, you know, and then you start to once again, look at what are we programming the AI to, to do? Okay, well, protect Scott. Well, you know, Gerald, Gerald may potentially be a threat someday. So let's go ahead and, you know, nip this in the bud and, <laughs> and get rid of them, right? So, uh, you know, you can see all sorts of unintended consequences and not being able to program the ethics into this. Um, yeah, and so I think there's some really, um, you know, some really dangerous things about the democratization of AI. There's some really great things, but, um, you know, we're going to have to sort through all this. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't really put the human into it. Like, I, I love it for the fact, like, you can do image sharpening. It can, it can make a, a, I don't know, a game that wouldn't go very well on your computer actually work. I love that right. kind of stuff. But then, you know, Terminator scenario, you know, you know, <laughs> it, nu it nukes us or like, you know, protects Scott. You know, that's, right. that's scary stuff. <clears throat> yeah, but imagine that like for, for like a president or something, protect the president and then, you know, it just gets something wrong. You know, it identifies like a, a, a flashing camera as like a rifle or something. Right. And it just goes on a seek and destroy. Yeah. Or, or how about um, Scott matches a pattern of, you know, white 52 year old males that have gotten radicalized on uh, YouTube. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, we're in, he seems like the type of person that would, you know, invade the Capitol or something. So uh, he, he matches this uh, pattern that we've seen with uh, previous folks. So let's go ahead and arrest him now. Um, so yeah, you could imagine an AI bodyguard. If you want a Google Skydio, it's a drone company that actually has a drone that will follow you. Um, so you just tell it to follow Scott yeah. and I can go underneath the trees. I can go wherever it will follow me all around. Well, that could be great for lots of applications. So for example, we did have a criminal, somebody robs the pub. Well, you could say, uh, you know, follow that guy until we, uh, you know, <clears throat> find what rock he's hiding under or what trees climbed up. 
So it could be lots of great applications, but you know, maybe we're going to have AI bodyguards. Maybe our famous singer Shakira is going to have an AI drone sitting over her head uh, to uh, not only take the latest Instagram pics, but also to um, make sure there's no of her none of her known stalkers out in the audience there. Right. So that, that gets pretty terrifying when it gets to like, I guess terrorism. Yeah, terrorism prevention, like before. Mm-hmm. Like someone acts on it because it can it can fuck up, right? You know, you, you could just be sublied. Uh, I know it might it might identify that people who watch like a lot of Alex Jones or Ben Shapiro are, are going to be more likely to do it. Right. And then I know you're just sitting around like oh, I watch a Ben Shapiro video, and then fucking two weeks later, uh, your door smashed and you're under arrest. You could be a terrorist one day, you know. Right. Uh, that that is that is terrifying. Uh, that I could just kind of take a guess that oh, you know, look looking back on other cases, they're more likely to be a terrorist. Grab them. That is that is really like authoritarian. Scary yeah, so there's yeah there's all sorts of weird places here that we go in and with my students i often say that you know we we have to balance this kind of creepy versus convenience right um another area that you could look at for predictive analytics and predictive ai is depression so um you can actually tell if a person is becoming depressed um based on their voice so there's been some several AIs that are very accurate at this. Uh, and so we might have Scott wear a little wristband. In fact, Amazon has one that will actually do this and will tell you what your mood was in the past. It has a microphone. You can't order stuff from Amazon, but it'll just listen to you constantly. That must so, be great for your ads. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, uh, so once again, you know, maybe that's good. Maybe... You know, we want to intervene before Scott, you know, uh, you know, does some sort of self-harm or something, God forbid. Um, so that would be that would be good. Or maybe we would catch somebody before they did something bad before he went out and, and hurt somebody. But, you know, there's a level of creepiness there, um, invasion of privacy and invasion of thought. Don't I have the right to become depressed? Don't I have my own agency in these things? Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking yeah. there. Like. Yeah, the idea is it's listening in constantly and yeah because yeah, it could be used for good you know like exactly what you're saying but it could also be used you be used for like fucking terrible stuff yeah. right like yeah. drunk people get their hands on that stuff and next thing you know your privacy is just gone out the window yeah. well and there's yeah. most of it is anyway yeah. yeah, and you know, and there's lots of different uh, cultural differences in this area. So in China, um, much more, author- they're used to kind of an authoritarian state. Um, they have this kind of social credit score that's based on all these different inputs. Um, so you may not be able to get a first class train ticket because you know, your social credit card score is bad because we saw you throwing a cigarette on the street or the facial recognition saw you doing that and, and uh, you know, other sorts of things that have been added into this metric. Um, and uh, yeah, so how AI is used is going to also differ by, uh, you know, cultures. There's a, another interesting website you might want to check out called The Moral Machine. It was the MIT did this thing where they uh, re-ran the trolley problem. You're probably familiar with the old trolley mm-hmm. problems like, you know, grandpa is there and he's minding his own business. But then on the track, there's uh, four children. And so do you throw the switch and, you know, kill grandpa, all that kind of stuff. 
well, they kind of re-ran this, but with autonomous vehicles. So do you want the, the car to veer off and, and potentially kill you, or do you want it to uh, you know, hit the kids or whatever? And they found that this uh, varied based on some cultures. So in Japan, they tend to revere older folks. So they would say, uh, you know, if it was between Thomas and me, they would say, well, you know, uh, you know, Scott's old, he's, you know, should be respected. And so, you know, go after Thomas there. Uh, <laughs> but here in the West, Western cultures, we tend to view uh, youth as being good. Well, Scott has had a good life, you know, he, he's old, gonna die pretty soon anyway. Uh, let's make sure that uh, Thomas is uh, well-protected, right? So in this scenario. So um, it's very interesting. Do we reprogram our self-driving cars based on where we're selling them? You know, that's the Tesla right. reprogram them. Uh, so there's lots of weird, uh, weird things we have to deal with here. And we're, we're, know, Scott, if it was me, I would choose myself. You're not done yet, sir. <laughs> Jeez. Um. <laughs> Thank you for that. You're a val valent uh, warrior there. <laughs> yeah. And um, yeah, I guess, I guess, do you have any predictions for... Uh, we're going to finish up soon, but do you have any predictions for where AI is going in the next five years? Huge amount of automation and autonomous systems. Uh, we're going to see the results of coronavirus really pouring this accelerant on AI's use and things like supply chain. I think we're going to see entire uh, grocery stores and delivery systems that are not going to involve humans anymore. So I would suspect in our metropolitan areas, uh, St. Louis and Kansas City, we will have uh, grocery stores that are entirely, uh, you can't go into. They're basically a distribution center, but out the side pops an autonomous vehicle that's going to deliver my groceries to my suburban uh, uh, home. And I will use my phone to unlock it, grab my groceries out of it, and then it'll wheel on to the next delivery. Um, I think uh, that may be coming in five years, and it's going to be because of this COVID crisis that that's going to be really be accelerated. Um, so I would just look for an acceleration, and I would say that, that we all need to start to hold our institutions accountable, so our higher education institutions. Uh, if you start to see a bunch of cameras deployed, ask, is there facial recognition uh, technology being used behind that? Uh, if you uh, are applying for a loan, Who's deciding this loan? Have you outsourced that to a third party? And that third party is now using some AI to decide whether I get this loan. Um, you know, start asking questions because we're going to see this stuff just creeping into our lives uh, to uh, a great degree. Wow. It's just, <laughs> I know, wow. I know you're right, and I really hope you're not. <laughs> as as I look at the mirror, um, yeah, it's just. It's, it's, it's coming, got to deal with it. Um, you may at least enjoy it for playing games for now. Uh, right. <laughs> that's what I'll do. Um, yeah, it's just dodgy stuff. I, I wonder, is it being used in um, filmmaking? Because sometimes you get like a dodgy shot. Can, can AI like improve that? Or uh, if a shot you think is already brilliant, it can make it even better? Oh, I think so. I think there's lots of developments in, in uh, AI and in, in cleaning up things, uh, reanimating uh, dead actors. 
that's another whole issue. You know, if uh, if yeah. I've signed, uh, uh, I was prayed, uh, I'm blank, Carrie Fisher, you know, played Princess Leia. Well, now we want to make another Star Wars movie. Does uh, uh, Disney have the rights to reanimate her in some sort of AI? Uh, or does her estate own that? So I think uh, if I was a lawyer for these folks, I'd be looking very carefully at <clears throat> what I'm signing. Uh, so am I signing uh, in perpetuity that uh, this uh, person's image could be used? There's actually a case recently where um, a, uh, a, a uh, institution had a course. It was an online course that had videos and you know discussion boards and all that kind of good stuff. But the professor had died last spring. But they went ahead and released it this past fall, and it was about four weeks in that the students discovered, hey, I tried to reach this guy, and he's dead. Oh, yes, I heard <laughs> about know? that. Yeah, I remember that. And, and so, uh, you know, does the university, you know, there's plenty of images out there of me now. They could go even one step further, not just take my materials and my videos, but say, okay, well, Scott's going to have office hours, <laughs> you know, in 2075. <laughs> Um, do we really want to have that? Is my, what does my contract say about my use of my image uh, after my separation with the university? So, That's just um, freaky. And even like, you know, deep fake technology, they mm -hmm. can just like put your face in someone else. Like they might say like, Scott is the, the most ideal looking professor we have. We want everyone to look like so, him. Yeah. And every, everyone's sitting here in Zoom and they have the AI putting the Scott face on everyone. Yeah, uh, like you, you could be there for twenty years and they could still be doing it. Yep, you just find somebody on Fiverr for you know uh, uh, two bucks an hour and yep. uh, read a script. Know. Yep, read a script. Avoid answering go. questions. Yeah, yep. I think we might be onto something. Mm. Mm. That's a business idea. But uh, <laughs> Scott, you've been a great guest. It's been fucking so insightful. It's been so fun. Um, Good. Yeah, maybe we'll have you back on in five years. Hopefully okay. you're right. <laughs> um, but I, or my my AI, my avatar will at least oh, uh, it will ooh, agree oh, to yeah. come back. So. That'd be yeah. sick. But before you, <laughs> before you head on, if you want to check out, where can I find you? Um, you can find me online uh, at uh, uh, Twitter, uh, jscottmo. Um, also, I have a little newsletter called The Free Range Technologist, where I just talk about these kind of cool sites that I stumble upon, like uh, 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 universal paper clips and, and uh, those types of things that I discover. So you can find that at frt.news. And so there's no .com, just frt.news, and it's a Substack uh, newsletter, and uh, I send that out oh every month or so, and uh, that's probably a good way to find me and to find other interesting stuff. Awesome, perfect. <laughs> um, okay, so if if you if you want to check them out, you know where to find them. And um, as we say, uh, thanks for watching, and stay away from yourself. Good luck. All right, take care. Top of the morning, lads and ladies. Support for the Awful Irish podcast is now brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best in men's global waist grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels, and you're no longer lead the look of the Irish with the ladies. Manscaped just launched in Ireland. We've gone years without using the right tools for the job. You can now be one of the first men in Ireland to experience their life-changing products. Your balls will thank you. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code IrishPod at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code IrishPod.